This is the Bridge Church Podcast, an audio ministry of the Bridge Church, a Nazarene community in Oahu, Hawaii. Please visit us in person or check us out online at bridgenaz.org. We hope to hear from you. We hope to see you. God bless. Mahalo. Emotions as she longed just to get back to her daily life again. 
long to be with people, long to be found. But these emotions, right, they've been around for centuries. The ancients, they talked about the same kind of emotions. If we read Israel's story in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, right, there's one, there's this one of being lost in the wilderness for 40 years. They're, they're accompanied by this recurring longing for normalcy in their lives that have been lost. The Greek and Roman philosophers, they spoke about it too. In fact, there's an old line from a Roman thinker, his name was Seneca, and he says, he says this, if one doesn't know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favorable. I'll say it again. If one doesn't know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favorable. In other words, how one plans for the journey and how one carries out the journey they both matter. They both matter. And even when there's an end goal in sight, a target destination, we all know that the starting point also matters. Right? Where you start from has everything to do with where you're going. Where you start from has everything to do with where you're going, where you're trying to get to. The same is true for story. Think about stories. How we start a story matters. How a story begins sets the stage for everything else that's to come. How we frame a narrative primes us for understanding everything in the story that follows. And you know what? This is also true for our faith. Where we start matters. This is why, for instance, Genesis 1 is so foundational. We either believe God created it or not. And we either believe God created us in His image or not. If our lives, our beliefs, our actions are framed by the claim that God created us, you know what? That offers a dramatically different way of thinking about our life and its meaning, our identity, who we are, and what this is all about, then if we don't have that starting that God created, and that God created us like Him, that is in His image and likeness, is foundational, and it's the starting point for thinking about everything. One Christian thinker, Dr. Patrick Miller, put it this way. He says, you cannot get past the first page of the Bible. Or let me put it another way. He says, you're not supposed to get past the first page without discovering that. Indeed, it is the initial assumption of God's story with and for humanity from beginning to end. God, the Creator, has created the world and He's created us, and perhaps most fascinating of all, He's given us an invitation to creation, and He's given us an invitation to co-creation. That is, He's invited us, us mere mortals, He's invited us to rule over His creation and to create amazing. Now, he doesn't want us to rule, of course, in a domineering way, where we're killing the, I'm not 
right? But in the sense of aloha, malama aina, right? Remembering at all times, this familiar saying that y'all know, in our focal passage for today, uh, the passage I want us to give specific attention to, we get to the same kind of sense. We'll see that the psalmist, in this case it's King David, actually echoes Genesis 1. In his song, it speaks highly of both who God is and who we are in light of that. It's Psalm 8, and here uh, from the Hebrew, we'll follow the NHB, which is the New Halton version. This is my translation of it. Uh, it goes like this. Uh, you have it in your bulletin, maybe up here. It says, To the one directing a melody on the Gitin by David. Now, the Gitin is some ancient instrument. We're not exactly sure what it is, but it says, Jehovah our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth, you whose glory is chanted above the heavens. From the mouth of soiled infants and youngsters, you've established strength because of your enemies, that you might bind the enemies and avengers. When I see your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you established, what is humanity when you remember it? And a child of Adam when you care for it? You caused it, humanity, to lack a little more than a little more than God and crowned it with glory and honor. You caused it, humanity, to rule over the works of your hands. All things are under its feet, the flocks and the oxen and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the skies and the fish of the seas, making the paths of the seas. That's a beautiful image. The fish of the seas making the paths of the seas. Love that. And it ends, Jehovah. Our Lord, how majestic is your name. What a beautiful song. Now, if you notice, the song proper, the song itself, it begins and it ends exactly the same way, right? with exactly the same words. Jehovah, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In English, in this translation of mine, is wonderful. But there's a beauty too. When we hear it in ancient Hebrew, I want you to hear this this morning. Yahuwah Adonemu, Ma'adir Shemka, Bukhahahahs. Right? Now I want to invite you into this in a little bit of a different way this morning. I want to invite you to repeat that Hebrew text with me. The portion that both opens and closes the psalm. We'll do it in parts. It goes like this. The first part, Jehovah our Lord goes like this. Yahuwah Adonemu. So say that with me. The second part goes like this. It says, How majestic is your name? It says, Ready? Beautiful. And the final part, in all the earth, goes like this. Repeat after me. Now listen this time one more time. Hear it again in full. As you notice, this song, it begins and ends the same way. And this song is actually loaded with meaning in between that opening and closing line. Right? In its own way, this song tells us a story. Its starting point is God. That's how it opens. And it moves to God's interaction. 
with creation, including us, and then it ends with God. And really, that's the way a story works. Right? From ancient times, the Greek philosopher Aristotle talked about how stories work. He was writing about this thousands of years ago. He was talking about how we structure stories for maximum influence. Right? Aristotle was one of the first, if not the first, to talk about stories having a three-act structure, which constitutes a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right? And what's so amazing about the psalm is that the psalmist David, he does just that. The difference is this. For him, God is at the heart of each act. God is the beginning. God is the middle. God is the center. God is the end. Amen. Amen. So the psalmist, he completes this kind of nice circle. Starts and then he gets us back to where he started. But it, it starts and ends the same way. The Jehovah our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, if we believe that we came from apes, that shapes how we think about ourselves and one another. If we believe we came from fish, then that shapes how we think about ourselves and one another. If we believe we came from pure nothingness, then that shapes how we think about ourselves and one another. And it changes how we treat each other. If we believe that we're created in God's image and God's likeness, then that shapes how we think about ourselves and how we think about one another. And it shapes how we think in fundamentally and radically different ways. Some of you who are old enough to remember, you may remember the name Jeffrey Dahm. Some of you are nodding your heads. He was a serial killer who took the lives of 17 people in a span of 13 years and did many unspeakable things in the process. While on death row, and shortly before he met his end in prison, he did an interview with NBC. And during that discussion, he said this, if a person doesn't think there's a God to be accountable to, then, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. I always believed the theory of evolution is true, that we all just came from the slime. When we, when we died, you know, that was it. There's nothing. You see how that played out. Our starting point matters. Now, I'm not saying that all people who believe in evolution are going to go that far. I'm not saying that. Um, but this is one instance of where it did work itself out to that conclusion. So our starting point matters. But we here this morning affirm the psalmist's claim. We agree that God is our beginning. He is our Lord, the whole name. God is our beginning point. He's also our middle, our center. He's also our center. God is our center. And that's a truth that we all need to be reminded of time and time and time again. God's our center. That means what? Means what? It means we're not the center. If God is our center, it means we're not the center. We're not 
during the time that Jesus was walking on earth, ancient scientists uh, were thinking about the world. There was this one astronomer named Ptolemy. And uh, he promoted this scientific view known as geocentrism. This was the theory that the Earth is at the center of the universe. The idea was that the sun, the moon, the stars, everything orbited around the Earth. But there came a shift during the Renaissance era, thousands of years later, when a scientist named Nicolaus Copernicus began promoting a new idea, the one that we all subscribe to today. It's called heliocentrism, if you didn't know the name of it, but it sparked this revolution which was later called the Copernican Revolution, because Nicolaus Copernicus's theory, it flipped thousands of years of science on its head. The idea that Copernicus promoted was that the sun, not the earth, was the center of our universe. Heliocentrism is the Greek word helios, means sun. And the Bible scholar James Walter put it this way. He says, Copernican astronomy should have taught something humans about humility. Should have taught humans something about humility. The earth is not the center of the universe. People are not the measure of all things. We need a sense of humility before the wonder of God as our creator, lest we bring upon ourselves the judgment of Psalm 7 and 9. He says, we do well to ponder the placement of Psalm 8 between the judgment psalms, Psalm 7 and Psalm 9, which focus on rebellion and wickedness. So friends, God is the middle. He's the center. And when we attempt to place ourselves at the center, things go awry. God's our beginning. God's our center. Our identity is rooted chiefly in God, in this life. In this world, you know, people attempt to put many things at the center. It doesn't work. So many people aren't happy with this life, with themselves, with anything. They'll try anything just to have some sort of semblance of an identity. They'll even create fake identities. Social media has made that super easy today. And some people are now even trying to identify as things that they are biologically not. And so this movement of identity politics in our society has become very prominent. As scholar Al Mohler has said, one of the problems with identity politics is that it establishes basic human identity in differences rather than the commonality shared amongst all humans. And so when we fall prey to that, we divide ourselves, and we become divided, and we become conquered. When people, when people make a conscious effort to place themselves at the center, and in doing so, also make it a point to root the core of their identity in what makes them different from every other human, that's identity politics, they make a fatal and divisive mistake. And as Christians, we stand firm with the psalmist. No, 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 that God is our beginning, that God is our middle, God is our center. And that is our human commonality. And you can probably tell where I'm headed next, right? God is our 
end. I really want to be clear about what I mean here and what this means. It doesn't mean that we're fatalists, right? It doesn't mean we're people who sit back and say, God will take care of it all in the end. Let's just leave it to God. We're not just a leave it to God kind of people. As Nazarenes, we're all Wesleyans, right? And Wesleyan teaching affirms that we are co-laborers with God. As I said earlier, God has issued us an invitation to creation and co-creation. To be Christian is to accept that invitation. We're not a people who just throw up our hands about everything and say, leave it to God. We collaborate with God, which means we join at his invitation. We trust God, we walk with God, we follow God's lead, which means we're with him, but we don't just quit, we don't just give up, we don't just leave every other thing to God. Why? Because that's not a choice that he's given us. It's not part of the invitation he's extended to us. I think many people have fallen into the error or the, the fallacy of conflation. It's a logical fallacy called conflation. And here's what I mean. And when we read the Bible, we Christians are told that when it comes to matters of final or ultimate judgment, we are to leave that to God. We leave that to God. Even John Wesley was affirming that. And when we read the Bible, we're told that when it comes to change happening in someone's heart or life, we got to leave that to God. We can't make that happen. We can't manufacture that. Those are things that God takes care of. We leave them to Him. But what a lot of people do is they take these two examples of leaving it to God, final judgment and heart change, and then they apply it to everything else. It's a grave error, right? It's conflating ideas. It's mixing ideas. And we got to avoid that mistake. We leave to God the things he commands us to, but in everything else, we're co-laboring with him. Too many people use that leave it to God, I'm going to leave it to God thing as an excuse to be lazy. It makes people who say it sound kind of spiritual, but it's often laziness in disguise. In recent years, some researchers have found that when it comes to acting uh, in terms of our faith or not, that there are three types of people. One, deferrers. Two, ignorers. And three, collaborators. The deferrers are the one who, when anything happens, they tend to just say, oh, just leave it to God. Right? They constantly are deferring everything. It's very problematic. I think at the heart of that is like a, a kind of sloth. The ignorers, the second group of people, they ignore God altogether. They, they believe they don't need Him to get anything done. And then there are the collaborators. Right? Those who, in most or in all things, are seeking to walk with God, seeking to hear God. And friends, that's the kind of people we ought to be. To not live as co-laborers with one another and with God, that's an affront to God. Anything else is simply a means of putting off our responsibilities and rejecting God's invitation to work and walk with Him. That's why I'm proud to be a Wesleyan. Uh, I'm proud to be part of the Nazarene Church. Wesleyan scholar Howard Snyder says this. I like this. He says, By God's grace, men and women are co-laborers with God 
in the present work of redemption. John Wesley saw the present order as an active, ongoing battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. He says, Christians were not saved out of this battle, but were rather called into it to wrestle with principalities and powers. He says, the Christian life is lived actively, not passively. I like that. So our story, friends, is a God-shaped one. And the God shaping it is alive and well. He's active. And his invitation is for us to be active with him. God is our beginning, our middle, our end. Who's our beginning? God. Who's our middle? And our end? God. Every good story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and God is ours. And as we walk through this life, as we live out this story in real time, as we move from stage to stage, from beginning to middle to end, we remember that we are co-laborers with God. And on this Father's Day, we make it a point to acknowledge that God, our Creator and Father, has given us this blessed invitation to creation. We're His sons, we're His daughters, His heirs. Right? We're carrying on his name. We're carrying on his lineage. We're proclaiming his majesty throughout all the earth. You see, this psalm, it doesn't mention the word king specifically, but it does have a number of royal terms in it. Rule over and majesty. And so this theme of kingship is definitely there. And in the ancient world, I want you to hear this this morning. In the ancient world, kingship was tied directly to kinship. Kingship was tied directly to kinship. As a king passed on his rule, his reign, his dominion, he did it via his lineage, his children. And today we're reminded that our father, our king has done just that. He's passed that on through Jesus to us. We are his lineage, his heirs, his children. But God's kingdom, as we all know, it looks different than other kingdoms, doesn't it? His kingdom's kind of what we, we've heard it called this upside-down kingdom. The first are last. Give to the poor, then you'll be rich. Lose your life to gain it. It's like this upside-down way of thinking. And so, as part of his kingdom... We're collaborating with him, our father, our king, actively. And I think this sentiment, it was captured so well in this prayer written by a Rwandan martyr the night before he died. I want to share that with you this morning. He titled this prayer of his Fellowship of the Unashamed. Fellowship of the Unashamed, and it says this. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. 
I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is him. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I can't be bought. Compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted or delayed. I won't flinch in the face of compromise or sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder at the pool of popularity. Or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns. Give until I drop. Preach until all I know. Until all know. And work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own. Who have no problem recognizing me my banner will be clear my father is the king and I'm a child of the king Mm. my father is the king and I'm a child of the king for those able this morning I want to invite you to stand if you're here And the Spirit has moved in you. If you'd like to pray, I'd love to pray with you now or afterward. Maybe you feel like this morning you're just wandering, like you're lost. Longing to get your life back, to get on track. God wants you to walk with Him and walk actively with Him. So as uh, the worship team comes and leads us in a closing song, I'll be here to pray if you'd like. But the altars are open if you just want to come to the altar. And at the close of the song, I'll come back and I'll come in.